Our scripture reading for today comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. What? Oh, because I put the giving box there. <laughs> you, can, you can sit there. That's fine. If you still play your 12-string guitar, you can sit wherever you want in church within reason. So pre-COVID, I would um, say some amount of the time, because I believe it comes up in the text, and as Christians, we're to wrestle with this. I would say you have uh, no control over almost anything in your life, but you've been given a great deal of power. And I would, I would say that in an attempt to help us wrestle with the fact that our words matter. Uh, our money only goes where we tell it to. I know it doesn't feel that way, but still true. And in that way, we have power. Our, our hands um, have power. And yet... Um, Man, how you doing? Doesn't it feel like, even if we were comfortable with the idea of having power, doesn't it feel like whatever we had, it's, what, cut down to a third or 12% or even less of that? As we see uh, our nation and, and around, the, around the world, riots continue. As we continue to be humbled scientifically by covid whatever measure of control or power we were comfortable with intellectually probably feels like remarkably less. And so in light of that, this summer we're going to look at uh, Peter's first letter to these churches, mostly um, Gentile followers of Christ. uh, But also probably some Jewish followers of Christ also. Um. And the reason that I chose this is because Peter lives beautifully in the tension um, that Christians are called to, which is the good news that we receive Jesus because of the Holy Spirit's love and, and the Father's foreknowledge. We receive the living hope. And we're going to suffer 
in this life in some measure. We are going to be grieved by things. And the word grief is um, more expansive, perhaps, than we think of it. We think of grief as something we do for a short period of time because of an emotion, which is very problematic in and of itself. But this word um, could also, it has a broader scope. So the experience of the world under the curse is what Peter's talking about. And so I thought it was more appropriate than the series that I had planned. Um, I'm really thankful that we didn't do one of those Vision 2020 series, both because that's just not me. Oh my gosh. But also because, wow, what if we had done that in January and then COVID hit? Maybe you don't know as much as you think you do, Pastor, about the future. But what I was going to do for the summer was kind of a, uh, a run through the Bible, book by book. And instead, I want to go to Peter because he has some really encouraging words for us who are also elect exiles. So elect is a word that sometimes in theological terms can trip us. Uh, We get confused or we start arguing with people about it because uh, obviously we have free will. But God says repeatedly through his word that his love preceded our free will. And sometimes in our theological arguments, we miss something that's very important. The reason that the word comes up so much in the book of Ephesians when Jesus speaks about his work and ministry, especially in the end of John, and here in Peter is because God's love preceded any action on our part. It's not a word that thwarts your free will, but the order is so important. God's foreknowledge before you did anything, God pursued you in love. And we are exiles the people of Israel are very familiar with the idea of exile. Jeremiah 29 is the uh, verse that we love when God begins to tell them that he is going to bring them back to Israel after they were heinously driven out or led out of Israel after being besieged and, and uh, many, many Israelites died, which uh, Jeremiah recounts in chapter 29. But then he, he tells them this to the exiles. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is Jeremiah 29, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. We also are exiles. As followers of Jesus, our ultimate allegiance is to him, which means we do not have a permanent home here. We will, when Jesus returns and makes our bodies new. And begins to restore the creation, then this world will be our home. And for now, that that inheritance is kept in heaven until this earth becomes our home, which is why we have affection and allegiance for our places here, but our affection and allegiance is first to Jesus. And that actually leads us to be for the place where we are. Beautifully so. According to the foreknowledge of God, again, before you did anything, it's in the text twice in just these first two verses, elect exiles, and in the foreknowledge of God the Father. Before you did anything, God pursued you in love. Why? For obedience to Jesus Christ. In the sanctification of the Spirit. I read that backwards. In the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. 
This is so thwarting of our natural selves, isn't it? We have this idol in our culture of autonomy. Like, I will take care of everything. I can save myself. I know what's best for me. And the Bible repeatedly, repeatedly upends this. Before you could do anything, God pursues you in love. And why did he pursue you? For obedience to Jesus. And of course, there are lovely promises and benefits for you, and we'll talk about those, especially in verses 5 and 6. But why did he do it? First and foremost, for obedience. Because until he returns, we're his emissaries of his gospel and of his justice and of his peace and his love. May grace and peace be multiplied to you according to the foreknowledge of God. That's God's love coming after you before you could do anything. In the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus and for sprinkling with his blood, his work was to reconcile you to God for the sake of the world. May grace and peace be multiplied to you, friends. Jesus writes to the, to the exiles about their hope. I love this first word in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because, uh, as many of you have noticed, I get a little persnickety about words. And this is a correction to that. I actually translated all six of these verses this week, uh, which might not sound like many to those of you that are good with language. It takes me a little while to remember my Greek, get all my dictionaries out and stuff. I don't like to use the software. I am apparently that age. And this word is different than the word in Matthew chapter 5 for blessed. That's a state of a full life and bliss. This is good word. It's the same word uh, that we would now call eulogy. Good word. You logos. And so Peter is praising God for the father heart for the work of Jesus Christ. And there's a little correction in there for me. Maybe it's all right to use the word blessed with a slightly large, larger semantic range than Matthew 5. So, and the reason I say that is not just to correct myself when I get overly specific about words, because we should not be more specific than the scriptures, but also because it's going to lead us to see the Christian practice of learning to bless God, learning to rejoice in all seasons. We learn to bless God even when we're suffering. And Peter's writing to the exiles about their hope, and this is a living, unshakable confidence in God. It's a living and unshakable confidence in the work of Jesus Christ, which can never be taken from you. Because who did it? And who grew it? And whose power holds it? Jesus. The word for living is not like breathing. It's not bios. It's the other word for life in Greek. It's zoe. Elpida zosan. Zosan is a participle. Oh man, we're really getting into it today, aren't we, Dan? Yeah, he, lo- he loves this stuff. And he's one of the only like five people in the room. So anyway, the point is the hope is a life-giving, flourishing life-giving, a zoe hope. That's the good news of Jesus is that when the Holy Spirit indwells us, we are given a hope that is alive. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, would call it a living argument against all the bad messages we hear from the evil one and from our own false selves and from the world, which does not long for us to flourish. Instead, we are given a living hope.
Jesus' great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. I wonder if Peter learned this phrase from Nicodemus. You remember John chapter three, where Nicodemus asks his honest questions of Jesus and they have this mind-blowing conversation about being born a second time. If you're a Christian, you might be used to that phrase. But if you're not, it's like, whoa, what does born again mean? Nicodemus is there when Jesus goes to the cross and we know his name, which tells us he became a follower of Jesus. Maybe he told Peter this story. We don't know if Peter was in the room when Jesus discussed this with Nicodemus. Then Peter saw Jesus raise at least three people from the dead, the widow of Nain's son, um, Jairus' daughter, and Lazarus. And as he saw that, it was so that he would believe that much more strongly when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, which is what leads Peter to say, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is something being guarded by faith. Uh, that's not what point I was making. Oh, kept in heaven for us. What are we born into? An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And I get a little worried when we talk about heaven. And I think it's because when I was growing up, my picture of heaven was a guy in a robe, right? And I don't know about you. Some of you love robes. I, I didn't then, and I don't now. I think they're awkward. That might be a carpet, not a robe. And I think we sort of think that heaven is like the guy on the cloud. Like we're going to be on a cloud singing this song. Maybe we're just singing that verse of amazing grace. That is not the biblical picture of heaven. This is actually part of the biblical picture of heaven. And I know it's imaginative and abstract, but wrestle with the actual picture of heaven. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's part of heaven. Heaven is also a place where we're released from the presence of sin and death. It's not the end of the story, which Peter will reference in verse 6. The end of the story is Jesus coming back here. If we're with him, then we'll come back with him here. If we're here, he'll come down. Oh, that'd be awesome. In the Bible, when it talks about robes, it's actually talking about conquering. It's actually talking about Jesus' return when he makes all things new. Robe, more about new heavens than the new earth and conquering. Picture your favorite Jedi. If you're not a Star Wars fan, that's okay. And it is okay to really dislike episode one, though my brother and I disagree about this. Heaven is not where we will sing the same song over and over. Heaven is not a place of robes. The robes are about conquering. Wrestle with the actual text where it teaches us that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us. Heaven where God is, where he transcends time. We locate him in the Lord's Prayer. Heaven, a realm free of sin and death that will eventually collide with this realm. The actual biblical story is way more exciting than a lot of our pictures. Peter writes to the exiles about their hope and about the power of Jesus. There are some awkward verb tenses in here where it's not quite passive voice, but it sounds that way to us, that we're being guarded. That's both a reminder that the Holy Spirit pursued us before we did anything. And it's telling us that something that happened in the past is also working in the present for us now. Something that happened in the past still has power. Your faith is guarding you right now. I really wish I could have heard some of Peter's sermons on this. We have a couple of sermons from Peter, but I think the, the, his letter was written quite a bit later than the book of Acts. 
And I wonder what he would teach us about his own growth and sanctification. I sometimes wonder how interested we are in being grown up. Because we get defensive so easy, don't we? And oftentimes if we're defensive, it's, it's partly because, at least in part, there's an area for us to grow in. One of the ways that Peter had to be grown up. It's such a beautiful story to go back and read Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 15 and then peer into Galatians a little bit and understand a little more about Acts chapter 15, how Peter was grown to see all people as made in God's image, which apparently he struggled with so much that the Lord spoke to Cornelius through an angel in Cornelius, and then he speaks to Peter, and then he and Peter and Cornelius have to get together, and it seems like Peter's pretty surprised. This is all in Acts chapter 10. It seems like Peter's a little surprised that the group gathered there. Peter continued to be grown up in sanctification. He was such a brash and passionate disciple. I love that we have his letter. I'm excited to go through it all summer, and I wish we could hear a little more about his own story, how he learned about sanctification, though we know a lot about him. The power of Jesus is that you are being guarded right now. Your faith is being guarded by the Holy Spirit. And you're being guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And that's sort of odd biblical way of saying hang in there and hang in there because it won't be apparent in any clear way until heaven and earth come together. And you're like, what does that mean? Why does that matter? Here's what it means. Well, let me say it this way. I'm worried about your marriage. Because you've probably been with each other more than you had expected this year. And for some of you, you're like, man, it's great. Good, good for you. Like, that's terrific. I'm glad. Maybe don't tweet that. You can. I don't try to control anyone's social media. Um, but in your marriage... You're going to move towards your spouse and you're not going to do it to get anything from them and you're not going to do it in response to their love. You're going to do it because you're a follower of Jesus. Because the Father heart of God pursued you in love. The work of Jesus Christ reconciled you and you have the Holy Spirit. And there's a beauty in that moment where you pursue your spouse because of Jesus' love that will not be fully evident until heaven comes back. The works of Christians, the works of justice and love, be it a spouse or a co-worker, will not, the beauty of them will not be evidenced until heaven and earth collide. Parents, sometime this week, your kid is going to do something very boneheaded and you are going to take a breath and you're going to get down on their level and you're going to say their full name and that you love them, and nothing will ever change that. And then the punishment is not going to be about making sure they understand the gravity of the situation. The punishment's actually going to be about reconciliation of the relationship that they harmed. And the beauty of that moment is not that your child obeys, or not that they learn to do the right thing. The beauty of it is the love of Christ in you, loving them well. And that beauty will be veiled until heaven and earth collide. You're going to treat a coworker with respect when they don't deserve it. And you're not going to get anything from it. And that's what Christians do. We are followers of Christ. We're so humbled, which means enlivened, not humiliated. We're so humbled 
by the love of God that pursued us before we did anything. We're so encouraged that the resurrection is, is a first fruit that we will take part in. We're so thankful for our inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We're so thankful that we're guarded, we learn to love well. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter is writing to the exiles. This wasn't written to us, but it is written for us. We also are elect exiles about our living hope and about the power of Jesus, which leads us to rejoice. It's really fun for me to preach this sermon after preaching about the importance of lament. I love preaching the Psalms. I'm fond of it. I'll probably almost always do a short series on the Psalms every year that I'm a pastor, I think. We also learn to rejoice. Paul will say in any and every circumstance in Philippians, Peter says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And again, the word grief is a large word. And you have been grieved. Go back to your January 2020 self in your head. What would you tell them? The longer you get to talk to them, the more aware you might be of the grieve, griefs, grievances? Not grievances, griefs you are experiencing. And yet we learn gratitude also. I have a little journal for it. I'm sure that shocks you that I have a special notebook for rejoicing, but I do. And in it, I write down really mundane stuff, really kind of medium level stuff, and, and the promises of God. And then I'll write over to the side, T-Y-F, thank you, Father. T-Y-J, thank you, Jesus. T-Y-H-S, thank you, Holy Spirit. T-Y-L, thank you, Lord. And don't do it my way, but come up with a way to regularly practice gratitude. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, which is true. You have been grieved. It doesn't matter if someone else has been grieved more than you. You have been grieved. The discomfort you feel is grief. Title of an article in the Harvard Business Review by Elliot Kessler, who continued on the work of Kubler-Ross after she died and with the full permission of the foundation, wrote the book, The Sixth Stage of Meaning. It's a very short interview. It's profound and it's true. And it's why I picked First Peter for us for the summer. Because we have been grieved and we can still learn to rejoice because of the promises of God. Because there are still mundane good things in our life. That Christ in us and the Holy Spirit in us helps us to enjoy When uh, we went through Revelation last fall, I enjoyed summarizing it using uh, Marva Dawn's phrase. Um, she's a theologian out in Vancouver, and she said, she summarized the book of Revelation this way. Jesus is king. Satan thinks he is. Hang in there. Peter's referring to this a little bit, right? When he says, to be revealed in the last time. The word there for last is eska, eskate, as in eschatology, as in the end times. I studied the Greek. You deserve to know that I studied this stuff. And I probably won't study it in two weeks when I preach again. Maybe I will. Hopefully I will. But the last part of that is so key, and Revelation states it differently. But Peter's saying the same thing. And you can take some of Peter's statements out of context, but if you understand that he believed Jesus was coming back very soon, It's such an encouraging word, especially for our time, because we are grieved, and we can hang in there because of the Holy Spirit in us. Because we have been given a living hope. 
which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we are, so pr- we are so thankful for your foreknowledge. We praise you for sanctifying us in all the ways we need to be sanctified. We praise you for saving us so that we could be obedient to you and thereby <laughs> be healed and called into lives of life. We praise you for your grace and your peace. God, help us to know how to rejoice even in a time where we are grieved by various trials. Help us to trust you and trust you more deeply. Amen.